Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Thank you, Pastor. Let's all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And keep your finger there. It's going to take us a bit, but we're going to get there. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen me to deliver a word of power so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. So there are times when the Bible defies common sense. There are times when God tells us to do something which is the exact opposite of what we want to hear. There are times when we read about Bible characters or hear Bible stories that instruct us to take a course of action which runs contrary to what culture what common sense tells us to do. For example, God took the form of a human being in Jesus. He was born as a baby and grew up into a man. And when Jesus told people, hey everybody, I'm God, people said, that defies common sense. They would say, if you're God, wait a minute, I know your parents. I know Joseph and Mary. I remember when Mary used to change your poo-poo diapers. That's not my idea of God. God is some spiritual, otherworldly guy with a loud, thunderous voice up there. It defies common sense. The Bible tells us that the way to get eternal life is to die. Jesus even said, if you want to inherit my kingdom, the first thing you have to do is give up your life. It doesn't appear to make any sense. And this is how this relates to the topic at hand, the purpose of the sermon, the gift of limitation. Because common sense says, culture says, Limits are restrictive. Limits stand in the way of you getting where you need to go. But what God says is that limits are protective. And as long as you respect and honor those limits, that's when he steps in, protects you, and gets you to where you need to go. And the gift of limitation keeps you at peace within those limits. Limit breaking provides the perfect chance for God to take a break. Limit keeping provides the perfect chance for God to display his divine power. Let's make this simple. We all are driving on the highway of life and we're all going towards a common destination. And God set a spiritual speed limit. We'll say it's 60 miles an hour. You may get on the highway and say there are no cars here. 
I don't see any cops. I, there is an open road. And if you're like me, you can get all the way on the left lane and do 80 or 90. That's a different story. So you get on the highway and you say, wait a minute, there, there's a posted speed limit, but it seems like there's nothing stopping me. So you floor it. Now you're doing 90, 100, 110. And you think you're getting where you need to go real fast. Nothing can stop you. You're an individual and you're strong. But then what happens? Then you get pulled over. And the worse you are breaking that limit, the more severe your penalty. You'll get pulled over. You, may, you thought you were getting where you needed to go. Now you're spending a night in jail because you are breaking the speed limit. Then what happens when you hit a sharp turn? Because you're going so fast and limit breaking, you can't control yourself. Now your car is totaled and you are making progress. Now you're at the side of the road with a broken leg. The gift of limitation says that God wants us all to be at peace, to be travel peacefully and comfortably below the limits so we can get where we need to go safely and without penalty, without deficit. So if you want to hear about three specific types of the gift of limitation, give me a loud, thunderous amen. All right. First point. The gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. The gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. So what is weakness? Weakness does not mean physical weakness. Weakness does not mean a lack of effort. Weakness does not mean a lack of talent. Weakness does not mean a lack of achievement. What weakness is, is it recognizes that my ultimate source of strength is not me. It recognizes my ultimate source of strength is God. So what is strength? The, the exact opposite. Strength means your ultimate source of reliance or confidence is in your own abilities, is in your own talents, is in your own achievements. And here's where the gift of limitation, where a gift of weakness equals a limit of strength, is intentional with the culture tells us. It defies common sense. Because culture says that weakness is bad. Culture says that strength equals strength. Culture says that strength actually means having no limits, right? We're in the land of opportunity. You can do whatever you want to do and break all the limits that hold you back. But let's take an example of two individuals in the Bible who squared off. One had the gift of weakness. David. The other had the burden of strength, Goliath. And these two went head to head. And from a cultural standpoint, common sense tells us that Goliath was the strong one. He was big. He had muscles. He had a sword. He was powerful. He was well-trained in combat. 
If David and Goliath were fighting in the main event of a boxing match or were the big card in the main event at WrestleMania, common sense would say Goliath is going to win because he has strength. But here's the problem. David had the gift of weakness. And we all know how the story ended that Goliath got knocked down. David brought a slingshot to a sword fight. And the only reason why you'll bring a slingshot to a sword fight is if you realize that in the end, it's not about your slingshot. In the end, it's not about you, David, that's actually going to make a difference. It's the God that stands behind David. It's the God that stands behind the slingshot that truly matters because a gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. So here's where our theme verse comes in, 2 Corinthians 12. Paul writes to a church and speaks about the gift of weakness. Now here's the background. The church at Corinth was a badly behaving church, and they were influenced by guys called super apostles who dazzled people with all the signs and wonders that they could do with their achievements. And they lacked a gift of weakness, and they were drawing people away from God by all the things they did. They were boastful. And Paul was saying, my brothers, you seem to have gotten the wrong idea because a gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. Paul actually writes, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. And as a church leader, Paul says that my strength means nothing because a gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. And this is what Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 7, verses, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. The NIV says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace, God's grace, is sufficient. It reaches the limit for you. My power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because a gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. I want you to imagine for a second, hypothetically, your idea of an ideal church leader in 2016. Just form a picture in your mind. Then I want you to imagine that person is being interviewed and the interviewee asks them, please, pastor, minister, leader, evangelist, tell me about yourself. And the first thing that person says is, man, let me tell you how jacked up I am. 
Let me tell you how broken I am. Let me tell you how vulnerable I am. Let me tell you how weak I am. Let me boast about my weaknesses. That would happen almost none of the time. Why? Because again, we live in a culture where strength equals strength. Strength actually means having no weaknesses. What Paul is saying is that authentic leadership has a thorn in its side. And that thorn makes you acutely aware of your weaknesses. And when you are weak, you have no choice but to rely on God. Because the gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1 verse uh, 15, in the last two years of his life, Paul has a chance to share his old man wisdom with everyone. And what does he say about himself? He says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He says, I'm weak. I'm a nobody. And he's not boastful because the gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. And in his weakness, that is when Christ steps in and truly makes him strong. And one of the best examples of natural versus spiritual strength can be seen in the case of Samson in Judges 16.28. Samson had supernatural physical strength. He was the Bible's great strongman. And at the end of his life, he found himself in a position of weakness. He had his eyes gouged out. He was a slave of the Philistines, a people he was warring against his entire life. And he was bound up in chains. The strong man was now weak. And it is then, in his moment of greatest weakness, I dare say, was the strongest Samson ever was. Because he cried out to God and said, God, remember me. Look at me. Now I'm a nobody. Now I'm broken. Now I'm vulnerable. Lord, please strengthen me. And God said, you finally got it. The length of your hair didn't matter. Your natural strength didn't matter. Now that you realize what true strength is, I'm going to answer my, your prayer. Because the gift of weakness equals a limit of strength. The second point, a gift of calling equals a limit of opportunity. A gift of calling equals a limit of opportunity. So the first thing, what is a calling? Your calling is going to be that specific mechanism in your life that you're going to glorify God. You could be a spiritual mother, you could be a Bible teacher, you could be an evangelist. Your calling can take many different flavors. So the gift of calling equals a limit of opportunity emphasizes the fact that in order to limit the opportunities you're going to take, you obviously have to know your calling. And here's why that's important. Culture tells us 
that opportunity is something that is always to be grasped. They say things like, when opportunity comes knocking, you have to open the door. They say, this is a golden opportunity. It's a once in a lifetime chance. You must act now. But a gift of calling says, there's a certain sphere I'm gonna operate in. There's a line drawn around what God has called me to do. And there are some opportunities which won't fall in that circle. So if it falls out of that circle, it may be a great opportunity, but that's not for me. That's for someone else with a different calling. Give you an example. Who was the Bible's best limit keeper? Yes, Jesus was. He had plenty of opportunities, but never took them because he knew his calling. Jesus could. He had the opportunity to stay in heaven forever where he was safe with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he purposely limited that opportunity and took the form of a human being because he knew his calling to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who was the Bible's best limit breaker? It's the opposite answer. The devil. Very interesting point. The devil, Lucifer, by design, was originally made good or bad. Lucifer was created originally as an angel in charge of worshiping God. God gave Lucifer a calling to do what? To worship him. But then one day Lucifer said, I don't like my God-given calling, and I see an opportunity. I see a limit that I can break. And in breaking that limit, he spat in the face of his calling. What does Isaiah 14 say? The prophet speaks of uh, the devil here, and he says, but Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Skipping down, I will make myself like the Most High. The devil saw a limit and saw an opportunity and said, I'm going to break the limit and go for the opportunity. And it's in his opportunism that he fell from heaven and was cast out. Because if a gift of calling equals a limit of opportunity, then not knowing or appreciating your calling does what? It makes you an opportunist. And because the devil is an opportunist, look at how he tempts Jesus and look for. He tempts Jesus with opportunity, an enticement to transgress or violate the limits imposed by God. And because Jesus accepted his calling to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he refused to cross that limit. The devil basically says, Jesus, look, 
You've been in this desert for 40 days. You're tired. You're hungry. I know you're hungry because you haven't eaten. So tell this stone to become bread. He gave Jesus an opportunity for self-reliance because he knew Jesus had the power, had the ability, had the talent to turn the stone into bread. He said, just command the stone. But Jesus saw the opportunity, knew his calling, and knew he could not violate God's word that says man shall not live by bread alone. Then the devil says, okay, this entire world in front of you, all the kingdoms, all the land, all the princes, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of it. He was giving Jesus an opportunity for self-promotion, for advancement. He was saying, I'm going to put you on the fast track towards being the king of kings. I'm going to, give, I'm going to make you CEO of the company. I'm going to give you everything that you wanted right now. Just do this instead. Bow down and worship me. But because Jesus knew his calling, he refused to accept the opportunity which fell out of the limits imposed on him by God. And this is how this very plainly and simply relates to our everyday life. Because some of the best temptations in a culture that loves opportunity, some of the best temptations come in the form of opportunity. The reason why this narrative is in the Bible is one of the reasons is because God's trying to tell us the devil's strategy hasn't changed from Luke 4. And the reason why is because it works. So when we live in a world that says when opportunity presents itself, take it. Of course, some of the best ones are going to entice your God-given talents to transgress a limit. But the question we should be asking ourselves is, yes, this may be a great opportunity, but who's offering it to me and what cost will I have to pay to take this now? Perfect example. My wife, Chanel, had a great opportunity given to her in the last week. Someone based, figuratively speaking, took her up in a high place and said, you see all this in front of you? Titles, fame, billboards, TV, radio. We can give this to you right now. And her first response was, this, what, this is a great opportunity all the things that I want to do in life, I'll be put on the fast track towards getting it. But here was the catch. I said, yeah, that sounds great, but what really is your calling? What, what do you purpose to do? Her primary calling was to be a mother. Her secondary calling was to her family. Her tertiary calling was to adolescence to advocate, educate, and motivate them. And then I said, is this opportunity going to empower you to fulfill your calling, or is it an enticement to divert you away from it? Then the light bulb went off. And she finally realized, yes, this was a great opportunity, but she would spend tens of hours less a week with her son, with her family. 
Yes, it was a great opportunity, but she would actually be spending half as much time with the group that she loved, adolescents who were broken and vulnerable. And then she realized this was a great opportunity, but it fell out of the circle of limits that God put on her life because of her calling. Because the gift of calling equals a limit of opportunity. Last point. A gift of rest equals a limit of time. A gift of rest equals a limit of time. Maybe it's just me. But there are some days I feel as if I don't have enough time. I go to bed thinking I could have been more productive today. I wake up thinking, and my first thought is, I have A, B, C, D, E, F, G to do. And I need 27 hours, but it's only 24 hours in the day. And maybe it's just me. But sometimes I'll have this compulsion where I need to devote more time in my schedule to God. And I ask myself, how can God fit into my schedule? And I'll look at my typical day-to-day, and I'll say, we'll fit God in here, we'll plug him in here, we'll extend this block here. And that may go great for a couple of days or a week or two, but then life happens, right? Your alarm doesn't go off in time, your bus is late, your child is sick, have to go pick him from daycare, your boss wants you to stay late, and because there are no at least consequences you can feel in the short term, if you need to reallocate time, that God time is the first to go. Then after two or three weeks, you're back to what you were doing before. But consider time from God's perspective. God in Genesis 1-5 actually created time. He actually made time before he created human beings. Time is owned by God. He has the deed to time. But in 2016, people say things like, you're wasting my time. But it's not my or your anything. It's always God's time. And because of his grace, his hesed, he loans it to us. So it's borrow time. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says that God appointed the times for everything under heaven. And the psalmist writes in 31.15 that my time is in the hands of God. Time is actually life's number one resource. Because from the second that you take your first breath, guess what? The amount of time you have is always going down. You can gain 10 pounds, go to the gym and lose it. You can get unhealthy, you can get more healthy. You can go bankrupt, you can make more money. You can be dumped by a boyfriend, plenty of fish in the sea. But time, 
is always going down. And it also means that the older you get, time becomes more and more valuable because there's less of it. So if time is life's number one resource, here's my question. How are you devoting life's number one resource to the creator of time? Because here's the catch. When you feel hurried, you feel pressured, you feel not at peace, you have no rest when it comes to your time. Guess what? Time cannot give you rest. Only God can give you rest. People with, yeah, clap, that's good. Preaching to myself, which is why I'm, I'm glad you like this point. God is the one who can give you rest. God is holding time and us in his hand, looking at us fights with time, realizing he's the one who control both of them. And he's saying, hey, you have to devote life's number one resource to me first. And that's how you find rest. That's how you find peace. Not by chasing after time, not by chasing after the resource, by going after the resource maker. So how do we achieve the gift of rest? In the shadow of New York City in 2015, in a world that says always go, 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 how do we achieve rest, legitimate biblical rest? And I'll give you one simple strategy, and it's called the daily office. The author of The Emotionally Healthy Church, Peter Cazero, developed this idea where he basically says, we never ask ourselves, how does God fit into our schedule, but how does life fit around God? And how can I start by devoting life's number one resource to the Creator? So this is how it works. You wake up every single day or you plan your week, and the first thing you schedule are those times you're going to devote to God. They are untarnishable times, times when you know nothing will disturb you. It could be an hour a day. It could be an hour divided into 15-minute blocks. You could start with just two minutes as long as that time is sacred and nothing can disturb you. If anyone's ever seen the movie War Room, it's about a lady who has a prayer closet. That's a perfect example of how to start the daily office. You basically find a space in your house, you go in, you lock the door, and it's you and God and time. That is it. And where's the biblical basis of this principle? Daniel 6.10. He was a Jew in a foreign land. He was in a land that says, Daniel, your time is very, very valuable because you're an advisor to the king. You're a dream interpreter and a visionary. So people always wanted Daniel's time, and he was very, very popular. But three times every single day, Daniel got down on his knees and devoted to God, and he re received the gift of rest by limiting the amount of time he spent on things that were unrelated to God. And look at the similarities. Daniel was a popular guy. 
So when it was time for his prayer, when it was time for his daily office, people would say, hey, the king's calling you. They would say, hey, your cell phone's ringing. Hey, you got a text message. Hey, someone just tweeted you. Hey, that consultant you want to speak to, they're here now. But Daniel would say, stop. No. The key to rest isn't to do more with time, but to do less with time and do more with God. Because check this out. When you stop and devote time to time's creator, Solomon goes on to write in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time and a season for everything. So when you commune with the one who has already appointed what's going to happen in time, he will now begin revealing to you how to use your time. So you thought when you woke up you had to do 10 different things. But he'll say, guess what? It's not your season for all 10. It's your season for one or two. Now you have a blueprint for time given to you by the one who already appointed events that will come to pass. Because a gift of rest equals a limit of time. And we should all follow Daniel's example and create a sanctuary of time in our Babylons, in our secular world that try to tap away and suck the manner in which we use our own time. So in conclusion, the best example of the gift of limitation is Jesus. He limited his omnipresence, being everywhere at the same time, by being in one human body. He limited his power by assuming the frailty of human weakness. And he limited his judgment in order to be a mediator of grace. On the cross, he was crucified in weakness and had the opportunity to take himself down. But because he knew his calling to be the Lamb of God, that opportunity was limited purposely. The story of, in the Bible tells us over and over again that it is the grace, the hesed of God, that always accomplishes his purposes in spite of human weakness. And by accepting the limitations given to us by God, we can now finally embrace the limitless power of the Almighty. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadako. For more valuable information and resources, please visit C H E sadafal.com